The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Thank you for joining us here at the Inn tonight. My name's Ryan Church. I'm the director here and am thrilled that you have set aside some time to join us here at the IWN. A couple things I want to tell you. Uh, first is Tiffany, our witness tonight. She didn't tell you this, which I'm probably thankful for, but for transparency's sake. Last summer, I was running the Seafair Half Marathon, and on some random hill somewhere in South Bellevue, Tiffany and her dad ran right by me. I mean... They dropped me on that hill. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Tiffany and her dad said hi. They were really nice, but then they dropped me like I was hot. So, And then the other story I want to tell you is go with me here. How many people, as you shared, you know, if you're not a staff person, shared that you were born in 1984 or earlier? Anyone? Okay, well, go with me for a second. Two, 1984. Okay, I was, I was eight years old. And it was, it was a beautiful fall day right here in Seattle. And my dad took me to Husky Stadium for my very first Husky football game. And yeah, it was, it was pretty sweet. The dogs were ranked number three in the country at the time. We were playing Oregon. I was, I was sitting in section 20, row N. I could take you to the very seats I was sitting in. Score is tied at 10-10. Okay, dogs offense wasn't performing super well that day. And Oregon lines up for a punt late in the game, and a dude named Tim Peoples comes off the corner and blocks it. And then, you know, the ball's kind of rolling back towards their own end zone. Another dude falls on it, scores the touchdown, dogs win. And that guy that scored that touchdown was a guy named Mike Gaffney. Okay, and he, I, you know, I, of course I was fired up. I'm jumping up and down into my dad's arms, and we're having a good time. Dogs win, take over the number one rank in the country that week. It's pretty sweet. Well, fast forward 10 years, and I'm sitting over on that wall. And I come to the inn for the very first time, and, and this guy's up here talking about how he played on the Husky football team. And I'm sitting there going, Mike Gaffney, Mike Gaffney. I know I know this name. And then it came to me. That was the dude that scored the touchdown at the first Dogs game I went to. <laughs> Okay, so I was pretty sweet. So needless to say, uh, that day back in 1984 when I was eight... I had no clue, uh, and, and perhaps it was one of those things that just puts a smile on God's face. Uh, I had no clue how significant the guy that scored the touchdown on that fall day and his wife would become uh, in, in my life. As I've shared before, this was a very formative place in my own discipleship journey, and Mike and Sherry... Uh, played a tremendous role in that. It is not an exaggeration to say that Mike is the, the most significant man uh, that has been a part of my life. And, and because of Sherry's presence in, in, in his life, uh, there is that, that same significance that Sherry brings. So one of the things as Mike and, and I and Sherry worked together over uh, really uh, nine years in ministry together, uh, one thing that was all that I more than all the stuff I learned in how to do ministry, I never questioned what their priority was, and that was their marriage and their family. 
their commitment to the Lord and what how they, they live that and share it is something that I am so excited for you to get a taste of over the next three weeks. Though we make light of it uh, in the announcements and we have some fun with pickup lines, we know, yeah, we know that uh, sex and dating and romance is something that is very, very powerful and compelling in our lives. And so we are going to continue, I'm sure, to, to have fun at times. But over the next three, three weeks, we really want to dive into this seriously. And I think we have the best two people in the region to lead us into that. Please join me in welcoming my very good friends, Mike and Sherry Gaffney. Well, right. What Ryan failed to tell you is that that, when, that same inn he was at back in 1994, I was up here and it was my first year here. Huh? It was 84, not 94. No, 94, the first inn. First inn. And when he came up, it was my first year here when I was uh, the director of the inn. And uh, Ryan comes up to me and he comes up and he's got this, I was in section 20, row this, seat this. And he goes, Tim Peebles block, blocks a punt and Mike Gaffney scoops it for the touchdown and we win the game. And, and all I can, and he starts the whole conversation by saying, I was in the second grade. And then he goes into the story and I looked at him and I said, you were in the second grade? <laughs> like, I couldn't even live into my glory moment for a moment there because it was like, man, I'm getting old. That's all I could think about. If somebody is now at college who was in second grade. So, oh, we got to trade places. Uh, yeah, and they were. We're gonna dance all night long together. <laughs> so they were five. You were five or, or younger? Some of you were younger than five. So in '94. Yeah. The, oh, the, let's the not even go there. Yeah. We'll be here all night. Let's not even go there. And it's good to have someone remember you. It's great day. to be back. And, and we're gonna... we, we actually share uh, season tickets with... Um, it's too high. Uh, we shared uh, season tickets with Ryan and Julie Church now. So yep. they're our husky yep. uh, seatmates. So and we have not be. given our tickets back because we will be there again when the yeah. dogs are back. It's going to turn around. Massive Anyway, we, we can't go there. We'll talk about Husky football forever if, I, if well, you don't get Well, you know, one thing I'm not... I was worried before we got up here tonight. I'm not worried anymore that we're going to be the ones to cross the line because that has already been done. Let's agree yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have been known for that a little bit. Yeah. But uh, so, hopefully through this series, you guys will get some better pickup lines than those. That, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. How many so. of you were here at our last inn? Do any of you even remember us? We were worried we'd come in and everybody would have forgotten us already. A couple so years ago, people. Okay. There's a few. Few people. There's All a right. few. Well, last week we were bef- we were in the midst of college students too, but not uh, college students here. Um, a little bit of what we've been doing the past couple years is we've been Mike's been working as the director of Young Life College, helping to establish ministries like this on campuses across the country. So we were down at ASU and at their Young Life College, and that was really really fun last week. But we have to say the best part of the whole thing was the drive in the van. Yeah, it's. It's funny how the things you remember, you know, here we are having this big conference down there and that we're hosting and putting on, but we had this guy named John Byer. John is the college director uh, at San Diego State. So we had a Young Life thing going at San Diego State. Again, they have a lot thing like this on Tuesday night. And John started this thing, but John's got this little five-year-old boy. He's in kindergarten, right? He's in kindergarten. John gets a phone call from the teacher. 
And uh, it says, uh, you know, Mr. Byard, you need to uh, come in. We need to talk to you about your son. And John, if you knew John, he's like, Ugh. it's like Mike McAvoy. Just think of Mike McAvoy with a kid. Okay. And just exa- almost exactly alike. And, and, uh, and John shows up and they sit down. He sits down with the teacher and the teacher says, uh, John, uh, we need to let you know, Mr. Byard, that um, your son uh, at recess today was walking around the playground giving all the girls wedgies. <laughs> And, and, then the, and then the teacher goes, and then John is like, ugh. And she goes, but that's not the disturbing part. <laughs> um, and John's like, yes. And he, she goes, well, we asked him, uh, why are you giving girls wedgies? And he said, totally with a straight face, he said, because I have to. And the teacher says, well, why do you have to? And he said, straight face. Because I am the wedgie master. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. We just wanted to tell that story. So I love that. That's become one of my. That's going to be one of my favorite stories. That made last Tuesday night for me. I am the wedgie so master. And okay, as the story continues, it turns out that his uh, he gets babysat by a college student, and her boyfriend yeah. taught him that uh, how to be how how to be a wedgie master. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Ryan, careful who you have. You so know. he was emulating the college student that he idolized. Isn't that funny? funny? Because I am the wedgie. Yeah. Well, okay, so I listened to Jamie's talk last week. It was awesome. I enjoyed listening to the top five songs that people can't get out of their head. The Macarena and Oh, Mickey, You're So Fine. I remember all those songs. And Mr. I Roboto? Yeah, Mr. Roboto. What was, what was that Jamie's song that she can't get out of her head? And she said that she just wasn't very hip. And all I could think about is, man, I'm so glad that Mike and I don't have that same problem. No, because we're hip. Because we are hip. <laughs> we're we're way three, more hip than we've Jamie. We've got three the teenage Carpenters. girls that have like 1,800 songs on our uh, iTunes downstairs. Yeah, they so, keep yelling at us. Their iPod isn't big enough or yeah, whatever. they yeah. got to get more memory. So and, we know the top 1,800 songs of the day. And uh, Mike has his own song that he can't get out of his Well, mind. you know, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I can't believe it. Oh, oh, she all on me, on me. You guys know what I'm Well, you know, you know, because we're getting into this song of songs thing, so you got to start tracking with the songs, you know. So, so, so little, what happened. so little, so little Wayne is our person that we're going to be talking about yeah. tonight. And T Pain. And T Pain. I'm going to throw T Pain in because here's the deal. A couple months ago, my daughter says to me, my daughters, my two oldest, Olivia and Lily. Uh, say to me, they, they said, Dad, we want to go to Lil Wayne concert. <laughs> and I was like... And I'm like, our kids are going to get killed there. <laughs> yeah. Like, Sherry knew enough to go, wait, they're going to die. And and I'm thinking, Lil Wayne, Lil Wayne. I, mean, I can't, you know, so I go on his website. <laughs> hmm. You know, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually shared a few lyrics here that I could share versus most of his lyrics. So anyway, I thought, okay, here's the deal. You know, like you don't just want to be that mean dad that just says no. Because I remember my first concerts. You know, I remember when I was in high school going to concerts and and stuff. I won't probably mention Cheap Trick. Anybody know like Cheap Trick? Yeah, okay, there we go, okay. Sammy Hagar, Little Red Rocker. Okay, see, these are kind of, anyway. But anyway, so I said, okay, I remember, I don't want to just shoot them out of the water. So I come up with what I think will be, be... Clearly, we'll end up with, we won't go to Lil Wayne, okay? So I said, look, here's the deal, girls. You can go if A, 
You buy your own ticket, which was what? A hundred bucks. hundred bucks, okay. You buy your own ticket. I said, second, I'm coming with you. I, <laughs> see, I thought that was the killer for sure. So I'm coming with you. And three, you will buy my ticket. <laughs> I know, it's brutal dad, isn't it? It's like, oh, but see, I'm just trying to go, man, my kid, no way, no, T-Pain, no, we're not going to the little... And they actually was, because it was T-Pain was there, so they called it T-Wayne concert, you know? It's kind of... Anyway. We got the T-shirt. So instead of getting what I thought was going to be a, oh, no, no, you know, like, no way, dad. A, we're not going to be seen with you. And B, yeah, I've hit that stage. And... You know, they, they looked at me and they said, Okay. Great, yeah, let's go, you know. Oh, and so I went. I went to <laughs> I can't believe I went to that concert. And me, but the thing is, they went with some of their friends. Their dads did kind of a similar thing, and so there was me and these two other dads. <laughs> and I said, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, uh... I was like, how was it having dad at the concert with you? He's like, oh my gosh, all he did there was sit there and text the whole concert. Like, yeah, you guys really are rubbing off on him. Instead of us feeling at them to quit texting all the time. All night long I'd pick up my phone and the text would be, I think she want me, want me. (laughs) I was texting Sherry the song. Got money. Oh, yeah, you got money. Yeah, there we go. We can throw some more out. So... So that was the worst concert ever, by the way, so I will never go again. But Seattle was left off the t shirt. We can't like, believe it's that. It's like I kept going, what are these guys even saying the whole time? And Little Wayne is not entertaining. T Pain is though. <laughs> T Pain is entertaining. Yeah, so. the girls came home mom. Anyway, yeah, like no, sure, we gotta keep moving. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. we okay. promised we were not gonna go till eleven thirty. Okay, tonight. so uh, yeah, <laughs> so. we have we know we okay. have a little bit of a reputation for for two things. One was, is uh, being sex experts, and the other one is going a little long. So we're going to try to move along. You know, um, we get to talk about our favorites. Like Jeannie was talking about her favorite things, like the carpenters. I'm like, okay, the carpenters. We get to talk about who we think is the best, what's the best song to us. And um, that was, it, take, it took no deliberation Yeah, at all. no, we realized it right off the because bat. Because we, we thought this, the picture, best song has to be from with the us. best band of the 80s and possibly Really, the best band time. of all time. Do you know who it is? Journey, of Journey. course. Journey! Of course, Journey. With Steve Perry. And uh, this is the best band. This was our era. I've seen them in concert. Hey, here's the deal. There's a funny thing that happened to us, though. This happened years ago. And this is going to lead us kind of into what we want to talk about tonight. So, yeah, you guys, okay, you can take off the 1980s pictures. So there's YouTube pictures are some of the best, some of the YouTube. A few years ago, we were driving home. We were married at the time, but we still didn't have children. Um, we were driving home, and on the radio came a song by Journey entitled, I'm Forever Yours Faithfully. You guys know that song, I'm Forever Yours Faithfully? All right, some of you do. And so, well, it was one of our songs in high school. We dated in high school, and we're high school sweethearts. And being the kind of romantic guy that I am, you know, well, I am. I reached over, and I kind of grabbed her hand and, you know, hummed a few bars of I'm Forever Yours Faithfully. Didn't sing it because I'm smart enough to not sing. So, but anyway, and so I'm Forever Yours Faithfully on the radio. And it's, you know, kind of romance. I mean, keep in mind, married, no kids yet. We're on the way home. I mean, so this is a great moment in the car. We're driving home, being very romantic. I'm forever yours, faithfully. Well, the song comes to an end. It was one of those nights they do a double shot. 
you know, where they do two in a row from the same artist. I don't know if they call them double shots still, but it's their, we call them double shots. And the same two in a row from the same artist. So I'm Forever Yours Faithfully comes to an end, and the DJ comes on the radio, and he says, now our second from Journey entitled, I'll Be All Right Without You. <laughs> True story. True story. Uh, needless to say, it kind of, you know... If, if you the, own uh, Journey's Greatest Hits, like we do, that's how it is on the it's album. It's back-to-back on the album. Now back we know that. But it kind of, needless to say, killed a little bit of the you know, flame that was starting to burn there. You know, I'm forever yours faithfully. I'll be all right without you. But as we began to think about that and the irony in that moment of what was coming out of the singer's mouth, we realized how often that is so true when it comes to this thing we call romance or sexuality. This dynamic that we have between man and woman in our life, that we realize that we can be at one moment, say, I'm forever yours faithfully, but the next moment kind of say, you know, I'll be all right without you. And that's a lot of the way in which we are not only within a relationship that might exist, but we might be that way about relationships in general. I know that there are some here in this room right now who are saying, oh, if only I could sing, I'm forever yours faithfully to somebody. My life will be better, it'll be perfect, it'll be wonderful. And there are others of you who right now are sitting here going, I have, I, have, I have said no to dating for the next nine years of my life. After that last situation I am in, that's it. It's over with, you know. There are people in this room who are finding themselves in this great tension around this reality, just as the Journey song shares with us. But that's not true for everybody. Well, tonight we get to look at what could be considered one of the greatest songs of all time, and that is the Song of Songs. And uh, I don't know how many of you, have any of you read the Song of Songs before? Oh, some of you have. That's awesome. And uh, so what we want to tell you tonight is just a little bit about it, and then we're going to jump right in. Yeah. The thing is, is about this book, for those of you that aren't necessarily familiar with the Bible or familiar with kind of church or, or Christianity in general, we want to understand a few things. This is in what's known as the Old Testament, uh, first of all. So it's in the Old Testament. And what it is is a collection of poems. Uh, it's got one title, Song of Songs. Some of you may know it as the Song of Solomon. Uh, but it's actually a collective collection of poems. I don't want to get too deep into you know all the history and explanation of it and stuff. But I want to explain to you one thing that's important for you to know. Um, the Song of Songs is what people call or, or scholars call an anthology. Okay, so just kind of stick that in your head. It's called an anthology. And what that is are discreetly written poems. And I say that plural. It's not one poem. It's actually a collection of poems that are discreetly written that have an overarching unity to them. Let me explain it to you like, like this a little bit. It's like, a, it's like sitcoms. It's like modern day sitcoms. Okay, so think with me for a minute. Like, say like The Office, for example. Okay, it, it's a little bit like that in that... You will find common characters, you will find common themes, okay? But if you but but you realize that each episode in essence stands alone. It can stand alone. You can watch one episode and go, oh, I kind of track what's going on, right? There's not necessarily a beginning or an end, per se, over the course of a period of time. There's just these series of episodes that you get a glimpse into the lives of certain people. And over time, as you watch a series of episodes, you begin to see themes emerge. So with that, I want to say to you, it's very, this is very important. We can't, you shouldn't overstudy the Song of Songs. It's poetry. And it's meant to be poetry. And it's meant to be felt. It's meant to be kind of experienced in essence. And it's meant to, have a, to be allowed to have these 
themes emerge as opposed to an over-analysis of every word and every saying and what does this mean and what does it mean for my life. It's poetry that's meant to be felt into experience. One last thing, just to make kind of a you know sweeping statement about this, is it's often attributed that a guy named Solomon, the king, wrote this. Um, I just want to also let you know that that's not necessarily agreed upon. So I don't want you to just jump forward and go, Solomon wrote this. Really what it's more important for you to understand is that it was most likely written in what we would say the spirit of Solomon. In other words, somebody probably wrote this um, in, in kind of the spirit of Solomon, um, in these, these poems. And so it's, it's an important uh, set of things that we're going to talk more about. Sure. Are you ready? I think we're ready. Yeah. So we got first one up. Okay, we're going to read uh, the first chapter for you. Kiss me again and again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How fragrant your cologne, how pleasing your name. No wonder all the young women love you. Take me with you. Come, let's run. Bring me into your bedroom, O my king. How happy we are for him. We praise his love even more than wine. How right that the young women love you. I am dark and beautiful, O women of Jerusalem, tanned as the tents of Kedar. Yes, even the tents of Solomon. Don't look down on me, you fair city girls, just because my complexion is so dark. The sun has burned my skin. My brothers were angry with me and sent me out into the tender vineyards in the hot sun. Now see what it has done to me. Tell me, O oh my love, where are you leading your flock today? Where will you rest your sheep at noon? Why should I wander like a prostitute among the flock of your companions? If you don't know, O oh most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock to the shepherd's tents. And there, feed your young goats. What a lovely filly you are, my beloved. How lovely are your cheeks with your earrings setting them afire. How stately is your neck, ascended with long strings of jewels. We will make earrings of gold for you and beads of silver. The king is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. My lover is like a sachet of myrrh lying between my breasts. He is like a bouquet of flowers in the gardens of Angeli. How beautiful you are, my beloved. How beautiful. Your eyes are soft like doves. What a lovely, pleasant sight you are, my love, as we lie here on the grass, shaded by cedar trees and spreading firs. You have been doing a series here, we understand, on longings. And um, we cannot think of another book in the Bible that's more about desire and longing and the Song of Songs. That's what the whole theme is. And if we had the time to read the whole book in its entirety, we would do that. But um, we don't. But you can tell that it's about a, a longing for physical and romantic intimacy and sexual love. And it's very blatant. It's kind of the rated, at least PG-13, maybe R, uh, um, book in the Bible. It is... Um, spontaneous it has a beautiful language it's it talks about exclusivity but interspersed within there there's moments of separation and and anguish and ecstasy and contentment and tension and more longing and it kind of goes through that all throughout the book um what's interesting to me as i think about the book of songs is that it's right in the center of the bible and uh, I don't know how, if someone asked you, how do you describe what the Bible, what, what does the Bible mean to you? 
everyone in this room would probably answer that question a little bit different. But for me, this is a love story that God about God's love for us as his people. It's all about his love for us, his redemption of us, and ultimately that he has the last word in our lives, not the world. And in the middle of that story is the, are these love poems about erotic love between men and women. I thought that's just really, really an interesting placement. And I don't know what that means to you, but to me, I feel like kind of the message in that is that God wants that part of our lives to be fully integrated into our spiritual life. That that part of our life should be integrated. And, and to me, I didn't even think that was possible. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end. But I just think that that's a really, really interesting thing to think about is where it is. I think one of the things that we want to highlight right off the bat about this book, and I think the thing, if there was one thing, just one thing, and it's in the title of what we're talking about, and that is that, that this, these collection of poems tells us is that sexuality is to be celebrated. If there was anything else, you don't hear anything else that we talk about. One of the things that we want you to get clearly when you walk away from here is that sexuality is to be celebrated. The reason why we stress that and emphasize that right off the bat is because I don't know that the church has always done that. I don't know that Christianity has always done that. I don't know how many of you grown up in youth groups, but I know that in most typical youth groups, I didn't grow up in a youth group, but in most typical youth groups, I know that usually the message is don't do it. Usually the message is God said so, so don't do it. Usually it's all about what you can't do and there's very seldom a celebration of the fact that what we have between a man and a woman is a gift that God has given us. And that gift came about before sin ever entered into the world. When God created man and woman, he says a man will leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's a gift that God gave us before sin ever entered into the world. The gift of a man and a woman coming together. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. This is a great gift that God has given us, and it's to be celebrated. And I, that's one of the reasons why we believe it's put right where it is, and that it is in here. Even though, by the way, there's no mention of God in any of these poems. That's one of the things that makes scratch people's heads. Well, no, God is not mentioned. Shouldn't every book in the Bible have God mentioned? There's no God mentioned in it. But as Sherry said, but it's at the center of things because we realize the power of this incredible gift that God has given us. And the first thing for us to hear tonight is it's to be celebrated. It's there's to be humor around it and fun around it and celebration around it. But so many of us as Christians are uptight about it. And so many of us are also find ourselves in bondage because of it. When what God wants it is to be celebrated. And so what we're going to do today tonight, in the next couple of weeks, is hopefully at the end of the day, present you with a way in which you can go about your life having this as a, as a gift to be celebrated and not something to be feared or despised or in bondage to. That would be the hope. It's to be celebrated. It's a gift from God. Well, I alluded to the fact that uh, early on thinking it wasn't really possible for this to be integrated into spiritual life. I also thought that if you were just spiritual enough, if you just prayed enough, you wouldn't really have those kinds of longings. And that was a total misunderstanding on my part. That I couldn't imagine like the pastor of the Baptist church that I went to when I was a little girl having sexual feelings. And, uh, you know, I remember the first talk that I heard on sex in church was a talk that we gave. Okay. No, we had never heard, we had never heard a talk on sex 
until we were the ones giving it. So that's how rare sometimes it is in this kind of setting. So uh, there's another place that I didn't Could think you imagine a Presbyterian pastor having sex? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> she could have been Baptist, but... I was over here just wondering that, so... I... I'm sorry, that went over the line. <laughs> anyway, I, back to our notes. I can. <laughs> okay. Well, three times, just three times. We have three children. No. Now I'm all clustered. <laughs> Too much information. Uh, not only did I think spiritual people didn't think about sex, I also didn't think that nine-year-old kids thought about sex. And until this week, I realized nine-year-old kids think about sex. My friend, kids coming home with all this misinformation about sex. He's got it all mixed up. He's hearing it from his friend at school, coming home, telling his mom what he's hearing. And my friend and her husband go, okay, it's time to tell him the whole real deal because he's got it all wrong here going on. So they get out the book. They tell him all about it. They get all done. He looks at them and said, wow. Sex sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) I just can't wait to have sex. And they're looking at him in utter disbelief. Speechless, not knowing what to say. Speechless like the two of you in the kid. Speechless. And he's like, yeah, I think I'd like to try that with Abby from my class. I don't know when Jesus when Jesus said unless you become like little children you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure if he meant like that nine year old thought or not, but there's an innocence in that. We know him and he is not like hmm. you don't like don't have to worry, don't lock your little girl dot sisters up or whatever. He's a good little kid, but just to capture that in him to kind of go, Wow, that sounds like fun, you know? It's like, yeah, you know, and I think that's what we haven't been able to do in the church and in Christianity a lot, is we haven't been able to have that place where we go, wow, that sounds like fun. I think I'm going to do that with somebody, you know, because we've been told that it's not good. Instead of recognizing, no, that it is good. And it's something to be celebrated. It's a gift that God has given us, and it's to be celebrated. Uh One more observation we want to make about the text we just read is that, um, you know, we have to admit before, you know, and before just recent years, this language to us sounded really kind of ridiculous. You know, it sounds kind of funny. You know, it's not like things we talk about, you know, um, and and the imagery is just something we, it's really hard for us to understand. And then in 2006, uh, a lot of us in the staff went to Israel. And uh, I would like you to show the picture that I, the first picture that I had out. Okay, this area right here is near the Dead Sea in Israel, in um, area of Masada, and we were there. And it's just, as far as the eye can see, it's just this barren wasteland. It's just unbelievable. And in the midst of that, we we hiked up this, um, this kind of this short mountain, I guess, was that what you'd call it? It's just up in trail. Yeah, where there's these springs. And in the in this chapter, I read about. And Getty. And yeah, well, it's the line in here is it said, it says, um, he is like a, a, a bouquet of flowers in the gardens of uh, En Getty. 
Now, to you, that doesn't mean anything because you haven't been to En Gedi. But this is En Gedi. In the middle of that barren wasteland is this um, these springs and waterfalls called En Gedi. And so it was like, I don't know, 110... And that's just one of the waterfalls. It's a series of them that go all the way up this right. trail. It's it, was a, it's a, it was about 110 degrees that day. And that's Mike and I actually were reading this song of songs. We're reading this passage in Israel at these uh, streams of En Gedi. And so this t- takes on a whole new life when you've seen these places for yourself. And it, it took on a whole new life for the readers in this day. So for them, when they heard that he's like a bouquet from the springs of Engedi, this is the visual uh, picture that comes to their mind. So I just want to um, point that out, that it, while it sounds kind of um, not exactly the most romantic poetry to us today, in that day it had a whole different meaning and a whole different um, visual picture that came to mind. And if any of you ever have an opportunity to go to Israel and, and see the Holy Land, it will totally change the way that you read Scripture. Yeah, we always say that it makes, instead of the Bible being black and white, it becomes colored. It's got all these colors in it, and it's just beautiful and stuff. So as you think about, as you leave here, one of the things we want to encourage you to do is to, to read it, and to, to read it in the course of the time this week. If you don't have a Bible, I know somebody can get you one here, and to re- be able to read this, and to begin to wonder, what is these things, and what do they mean, and what are these pictures, and how do we re- understand and celebrate them? However, there's one other theme that we want to highlight tonight. There's only two that we want to highlight tonight. We'll get into things next week. Is not only is it about kind of this longing that we have uh, for physical and sexual intimacy and the celebration of it, but there's also another side of it. And that is that there's also the difficult side. There's, as we said before, there's I'm forever yours faithfully and I'll be all right without you. There's, in essence, what we might say kind of rocks in the garden. We want to read to you out of chapter 5. One night as I was sleeping, my heart awakened in a dream. I heard the voice of my lover. He was knocking at my door. Open to me, my darling, my treasure, my lovely dove, he said. For I've been out in the night. My head is soaked with dew, my hair with the wetness of the night. But I said, I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? My lover tried to unlatch the door, and my heart thrilled within me. I jumped to open it. My hands dripped with with perfume, my fingers with lovely myrrh, and I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. I yearned for even his voice. I searched for him, but I couldn't find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. The watchmen found me as they were making their rounds. They struck me and wounded me. They wa- the watchmen on the wall tore off my veil. Make this promise to me, O women of Jerusalem. If you find my beloved one, tell him that I am sick with love. Mm. That, that, is the, that is an example, and you'll see this in other places as well, of kind of the difficulty that enters into this poetry as well. As you notice in here, here he comes to the door, right? He comes to the door, and he's knocking on the door. Hey, let me in. And she's like, I don't want to get up. It's warm in here. It's cold out there. I don't want to get up. You know, and so there's this, you know, she, he comes to the door wanting in. She doesn't want to let him in. And then when she finally does want to let him in, I know, they change their mind all the time. So... <laughs> Yeah, and that's what the guy's thinking. But meanwhile, he's like, well, I guess she didn't want me in, so he leaves. And he takes off, and finally she gets up there and opens the door, and like, ah, where'd he go? You know, he's gone. And, and I wish he was around, and what happened? And, and then there's this whole idea of her going out into the streets looking for him. By the way, there's this term watchman. There's, very, there's, other, there's other characters in this story besides the lover and the beloved, just so you know. There's the young women. We've already heard from them a little bit. There's also the watchman. The watchmen are what we might call social convention. In other words, um, what are the expectations? And you'll always see the watchmen primarily just dealing with the woman. And in essence, because she's out looking for him, 
the watchmen are saying you ought not to be doing that. And so in essence, what we're hearing here is she's being, in essence, abused by social convention that's not allowing her to go out and look. By the way, that's a bad thing in this poetry, not a good thing. It should be okay for her to be able to initiate and to go out looking. And so it's a bad thing that they're saying, sit down, women. You know, it's kind of a sit down, woman, shut up. You know, be you know, barefoot and pregnant. You should just be home. That's kind of what's, what's going on there. And so it's an abusive thing. It's a bad thing. Hear me, let me say that again. It's a bad thing. Okay? It's not a good thing that's happening here. The, the woman is being shut down when in reality what's happening here is an incredible expressiveness throughout this, both by the man and the woman, especially by the woman. A great expressiveness around her sexuality and who she is and how God created her to be. But here we have an example of where, that, where it gets nasty, it gets difficult. Right. Want to transition? Yes. We want to transition uh, a bit right now from that of these two themes to tell you a bit more about our story uh, and know more about us. We're going to be here with you for a few weeks, and we want you to get a little bit comfortable with us and, and know some of us. And the, the scary thing is, is the journey story that we told you earlier tonight um, is not just a fun little story that happened, but it's very much uh, what is true of, has been true of our relationship, mm-hmm. especially when we were in the stage of life that you're in. Right. So um, Mike and I met when we were very young. Actually, we were younger than our three girls are right now. I think I think the first time I met Mike, we were in seventh grade. Uh, I used to walk to middle school. Mike went to his private immaculate conception school, and there was this one corner by my house where. <laughs> no, and I, and I just kind of fit with this whole series, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We were the angels. Yeah. 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 I could tell you all boy stories, but I'll spare you. <laughs> so there's this one intersection where I would always be walking to school with my friends, and he'd be driving to his parochial school with his sisters, and would always see, and I'd kind of always just happen to be there when he was ready just to drive by. Yeah. And so I'd see him kind of walking to school, and I'd probably kind of smile at him, and he just never really acknowledged me at all. I didn't even know he knew whether I, I existed. The, I probably gave you the head nod. <laughs> yeah. Probably got that. So uh, I did, I, we didn't really interact till one night. We were, were at the skate deck, and when we were in eighth grade, that's where skate people deck would hang out. Silver Lake. Skate Lake. Up in Ever Washington. Yep. Anybody ever been there? Skate yep. deck. There are a couple of people been to skate deck. Yeah. So Mike and I went to yeah. So we were, went to different schools, but we saw each other one night, and uh, it was funny. Mike, you know, he, he had retainer. I had braces, and and uh, we met that night, and Mike was just sitting you came there. Over and- and I came over and talked to him because I was a friendly person. He, he looked kind of lonely, and uh, so I went over and talked to him. She and had a boyfriend. He was boring and playing pinball, and so we, uh, so, so we kind of got a little bit connected that night and got to know each other just a little bit. And it, but we didn't really date till uh, right before after, the summer after my freshman year. I was it, we went to the rival high schools. I went to Cascade, and Everett any Cascade Bruins here. Yeah, it was Cascade. Yeah. And Mike went to Everett High School, and so we were rivals. And um, one night, his best baseball team was playing my team, and we kind of connected at um, a game. And he asked me to go out with him, and we didn't really go anywhere in those days. Mike couldn't drive. drive. He'd ride his bike to my house, and that was kind of the extent of our dates at that time. But by the end of the summer, that was kind of off because Mike decided he was not quite ready for a serious relationship. I was a little stunned that at the mature age of 14, he would feel that way. Like, I just can't imagine that you're not ready for that. So we, we uh, kind of pulled the plug on that until uh, 
he asked me to his prom in the spring, and the theme was Wonderful Tonight. Eric Clapton, that's one of our other songs. That's one of our other songs. And so we went to his prom that year, and that was the beginning of our steady dating life, which we've really dated ever since We've then. dated ever since then. And that's yeah, a lot of years Yeah, since the end of our now. sophomore year in high school. Yeah. So, it was a long, a long time. time. Since 1980, I guess it was. So, whew, yeah. a long time. Uh, so as time went on, you know, it didn't take us long till we... I, I, what, the words that I like to say is that we kind of fell into this sexual relationship. You know, I was like 17, I think, at the time. And um, my parents, you know, they never really... They, they were pretty open about sex, but they, they, they couldn't really preach to me something they weren't doing themselves. They were both divorced and involved with their people. So what my parents told me was that sex was for love. I thought I loved Mike. It wasn't a big deal. Okay, you know, for Mike, I don't know what sex was for him. For fun. Sex was for fun. <laughs> okay. So me, sex was for love. Sex for Mike, sex was for fun. And uh, so it just, I, I feel horrible that it wasn't a big deal to me, but it, it really didn't just didn't seem like that big of a deal. My friends were having sex. I just didn't give it a whole lot of thought. And I just, I'm stunned by that now, but that's really the honest truth, to be really candid with you. So, um, and we really had a pretty good relationship. Yeah, I mean, in the midst of that, though, I mean, this isn't like, oh, man, our relationship was bad. We Thankfully, because we went to different high schools and stuff, um, we, we kind of had a, a, a well... Um, I mean, we, we spent time together strategically, so to speak. You know, we, we had other friends. We had sport activities and other things. So it wasn't like we were kind of, you know, the couple at the locker kissing all the time. We're just always together and on one week, off one week, on week, off one week, you know, typical high school thing. We had a pretty good relationship uh, during that time, and I think things went yeah. really well. And we were busy. So and then... Then we the, went off to college. Right. And at the end of our freshman year, through a series of circumstances that we don't even have time to explain to you, we both became Christians um, in our freshman year. And we were at different schools at that time, too. And you would think that that would just make this life perfect. Right, you know, yeah. that's the only thing that was Good missing. relationship already, and now we've got God in but, our life. But that's not what happened at all. Actually, almost the opposite is what happened. And that for the first time in our relationship, we started feeling like all these rocks in the garden that we were talking about, all this chaos. All of a sudden, we weren't getting along at all. We were struggling so badly because we, on one hand, as new Christians, we wanted so badly to grow in our faith. Um, so on one hand, we wanted to say, God, I'm forever yours faithfully. But we were also really involved in this stuff that we were beginning to clue in that maybe wasn't really that edifying as a Christian. And so, but we were, in, with that part of our life, we were saying, but you know what, God, with this area of our life, we'll be all right without you. And so we were wanting to live in these two worlds, and it got very, very dicey trying to, to do that. Yeah, we found ourselves kind of in a place where we were constantly arguing um, just not getting along uh, in any way, not you know serving each other, not really loving each other, being very selfish and self-centered in our relationship until spring break of our sophomore year. So this lasted almost a year from the time we've decided to follow Jesus till our, the spring of our sophomore year. Sherry went skiing at Whistler, and, and I went up to Malibu Club in Canada. Uh, some friends of mine drug me up there for a spring break work week, and I didn't know what I was going to or what it was. And, Necessarily, and I went up there. It was during that time that I had a gentleman sit me down. Matter of fact, he knew nothing about my story. He just literally pulled me aside, said, Mike, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Are you sleeping with your girlfriend? And my only reason for any sense of, I didn't know what to say, was because I thought he was going to tell my mom.
mom, you know, kind of deal. It's like, you know, don't tell my mom, you know. And, uh, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily because, well, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything at that. I didn't know what anything the Bible said. I didn't know that we should celebrate sexuality or I didn't know that we shouldn't. I didn't know anything. I just, and I said, well, yeah, uh, I am. In the course of that week, he sat down with me and he began to share with me God's vision for our life and how to truly celebrate sexuality in our lives and how it can truly be a gift that God has given us. He didn't tell me what I shouldn't do. He told me what my opportunities are or what I could do. And I came home from that time and I sat down with Sherry and I said, you know, I really believe that we're supposed to stop being sexually intimate in our relationship and that we're instead supposed to begin to work on some other things and to build some other things into our relationship. And so for the next two and a half years, almost, of our relation, dating relationship, we did not uh, have sex. Uh, we waited until our wedding day. Um, and so we've experienced and lived in this, in this reality of being in one place and switching to another place in our life. And, and some of the things that we're going to want to be able to share with you over the next couple weeks are some of those things uh, as to why it's important and how we can truly celebrate. It's really interesting because I was telling Mike actually on the way down here, I said, you know, if people came to us and said, so did you have sex before you got married? I would say yes. And if people said, so did you wait to have sex till you got married? I would say yes. You know, we're in a unique situation where we've done both. And um, it's, it's really apparent to us which um, has served us better in the long run. I think that decision has really brought us to two, re- two realizations. And one is that our sexual involvement stunted our growth as a couple because sex is a very powerful thing. As you heard us read the Song of Songs, and if you continue to read the Song of Songs, it gets even more steamy. I mean, you will know that it is a powerful, powerful thing. And in that contest, it's really easy for that to become center stage and that to be what your relationship is really based on. And, and Mike was so right that we really needed to develop in other ways. Ways that would give us the ability to have longevity as a couple. I really, really believe that without making that decision, we would not be married today. I really believe that with all my heart. Um, Because it fluctuates so much. It's no foundation for a relationship to stand on. The second realization that um, came to came to us, and these aren't the words I would have used at the time, but the words that I would use now is that pleasure is meant to prompt us to praise God. And... I mean, obviously that was something that was pleasurable. Most of the sin that we're all involved with is pleasurable or we wouldn't do it, you know. It's pleasurable for the time, but usually that pleasure is fleeting. The pleasure that is lasting, you know, as I've experienced over the past 45 years of my life, is a pleasure that prompts us to praise God. And that's why he created us. That's why he put this wonderful longing and desire into us and this longing to be physically intimate with someone. It's, it's a pleasure that's meant to prompt us to praise him and in the proper context that's exactly what it does but in the context that we were living in when we were 19 that was not what was happening um, so it's our hope and prayer that we would be able to be people that can help you just as god has helped us in our life become people that are allowed are allowed to to praise god uh, because of the great pleasures that he does give us and afford us in our lives that's mm-hmm. great God, thank you for a chance to be here, to laugh a little bit, tell some fun stories, but also uh, to begin the journey of taking a look at some stuff that's pretty serious and important in all of our lives. Lord, I thank you for what you have done and worked in our life and would pray that as well for those in this room that need a miracle. 
Lord, I would pray that you would begin a work tonight as well to help them to move into a place where they can truly celebrate their sexuality and not find themselves either in bondage to it, Lord, or absolutely in fear of it. And of course, Lord, whenever we bring up a topic like this, we recognize that in this room are those that may have experienced uh, abuse uh, in this area of their life as well. Uh, Lord, we know that you are the great healer, but that is a journey. And we would pray that in the midst of it, that you would provide the resources and the encouragement for those in this room that might need to be able to get help so that they too someday can celebrate this and not live in fear. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time tonight. And we ask that you continue to, to unite us together as we share over these next two weeks or three weeks so that together as a community of people, we can learn to bring honor and glory to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, hey, thanks. We'll see you next week.